God is what? Love. And so Jesus here is saying to his disciples, if you want to be known as my disciples, you need to reflect my character. And guys, you know, and they would have known, those disciples would have felt the love of Jesus, wouldn't they have, in very practical, real ways, tangible ways. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, guys, the way I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. And as you love one another, guess what? My character will be seen so clearly to the rest of the world that everyone will look and say, those people there, they know God. See, and that's powerful. And so now when we go to the one another's, the 36 ways in which we can show love to one another, we understand that these are not just cute little ideas to follow, but these are uh, principles and, and practical steps that flow from the very character and nature of a holy, awesome God. And when lived out in our life, when carried out, they reflect back on Him. Is that beautiful? That's a wonderful thing. You see, we've gone from worthless sinners without any hope to those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we've been redeemed and now we have immense, immense potential for wonderful things. And there is nothing greater for man to do than to glorify God, is there? And so even as we go through these very practical steps here with the rest of the one another's today, uh, let's remember that we are seeking not just to enjoy the joy that comes from looking like Jesus, but also that the greater role is for us to glorify a holy God that deserves our worship and our honor in our lives. That's exciting. The first one of our one another's today is spur. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Turn, if you could, to Hebrews 10, verse 24. We'll spend a lot of time on this one, really the majority of the time, because, um, well, I just probably because I like it the most out of all the ones we're going to talk about today. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The one another here is is one of action. It's one that says, let's think of ways how my life can impact Kevin and Anna's life in such a way that then they decide they want to impact for the Lord's glory someone else's life, who then will be so moved by the love of God and Spirit of God working in their life that they will be ready and willing to impact someone else's life. And so this call is is a neat call because it's one of multiplication. It's one of the ways in which significance in this life can can be found. And, And there's oftentimes when I become frustrated or I'm depressed and I say, Lord, I just feel like, you know, there's no... Uh, there's no 
real meaning for me right now. I don't have a, a plan. I don't, I don't have my five-year plan laid out, Lord, and, and I feel frustrated. And, and it's interesting. There's often several things that lead to me feeling frustrated or, or stagnant or kind of uh, running in place, and that is a sin issue in my life that I need to deal with. And the other thing is that my circle of impact has grown so small that my significance or my feelings of, of significance have shrunk with that, that impact. And so we need to evaluate that. If you feel like your life at this moment feels somewhat insignificant, well, first I, I, I ask that you look at our lives and say, Lord, please search us. Is there anything in my life that is contrary to your character and to your word? And after we take care of that, the second thing that we need to do is say, okay, Lord, now this one's even more painful. Is my life meaning anything for your glory? Or am I just living for myself? Lord, does my life have impact the way that your life had impact on everyone you came into contact as you walked the earth? And if the answer to that is, no, not at this time, then you have found the answer for why you're feeling these feelings of insignificance, if you will. Because you were designed with a purpose. You were designed to be those that brought God's glory and showed it to everyone around you. That's what you were made for. And when we're not operating inside of what we're made for, that's very frustrating, isn't it? That can feel very defeating. And so take comfort in that, even in our obedience to follow this, this command that we spur one another on to love and good deeds, there's joy waiting. There's purpose and meaning waiting in obedience to that command. The interesting thing is I'm not only responsible to do the one another's, to carry out all the 36 one another's that we've been talking about, but I'm also responsible now, according to Hebrews 10.24, to spur on others and to encourage others to do the one another's. Isn't that interesting? It's no longer good enough for me to just try really hard to, to carry out these one another's that I'm supposed to do, which is hard enough on its own. But now I'm responsible to make sure that I am encouraging you and lifting your heart up in such a way that you're drawn to do them as well. The neat thing is, is that if I'm passionately, through the Spirit's power, carrying out the one another's, that this is going to happen automatically, isn't it? If I'm being led by the Spirit and I'm living in such a way that is honoring to Him, you can't help but to start to impact those around you with the love of Christ. This is a mandate for parents as well, isn't it? Because as a parent, it's not enough just to teach the right and wrong. It's not enough for us to just say, hey, don't touch that, it's hot. Uh, don't step on that ice, you'll fall through into the lake and drown. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's not enough. See, the mandate of a parent, and we have like 18 years before they're usually out of our home, and it doesn't end there, even though maybe society would tell us it ends there. I sure hope my significance and impact in my kid's life doesn't end at 18. And yet, for the most part, that, that real concentrated effort is 18 years. And if the only thing I've taught them are all the things not to do and not to touch, I failed. Because I need to be spurring my children on to love and good deeds. I need to be encouraging their hearts 
in such a way that they realize that they too have a very real responsibility to live out Christ to the world. And if I fail to do that, boy, I, I failed as a parent, haven't I? Because that's my role. That is my, my chief aim, to make these little boogers look like Jesus. And we have 18 years as parents to do that, and then longer as well, but you understand what I'm saying. Proverbs 22 speaks to this. If you want to turn there, Proverbs 22, 6, a really um, famous parenting verse. It says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's interesting. It doesn't say smack the kid in the head when they do something wrong or, or make the kid feel like an idiot when they make a mistake. No, it says train them, instruct them, demonstrate to them what is right. So that when's their, when it's their turn to leave the house, they're not left with, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? Because it's been demonstrated on, on a regular basis. I'm trying to teach my, my two boys and my girls. My girls are better at it right now than the boys. I guess they're older. That makes sense. But at catching a ball. And uh, catching a football is like the only thing that I'm decent at in sports, okay, is I can catch a football. And so I'm trying to teach my boys how to catch a football. My dad spent a long time trying to teach me how to catch a football. And one of the things I tell Jack all the time is I say, Jack, okay. Well, at first I say soft hands, soft hands, Jack. You have to soft, he has no idea what that means, but I keep saying it. Soft hands, you have to have soft hands. I'm just looking at his hands. But the other thing I tell him is, okay, Jack, when the ball comes to you, I want you to watch the ball, and I want you to watch it all the way into your hands. And then when you see the ball into your hands, then you can close your hands around it, Jack. But if you watch the ball all the way into your hands, Jack, then you'll be able to grab it. And Jack loves this. And at first he had no idea, you know, you throw it to him, he'd be looking over here trying to catch it, you know, this deal. And still sometimes. But now, Jack, it clicked. It clicked. The problem is that I realized every time I demonstrated for him what it looked like to watch the ball all the way into your hands, it was like this overemphasized thing. So I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So now Jack catches the ball like that. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, this kid is going to go play uh, at the playground or something, and he's going to catch the ball, but everyone's going to be like, what is he doing? But what we model for our kids, what we demonstrate for our children, is what they're going to do. What's interesting about that is what we demonstrate to one another is what one another are going to do. Isn't that weird that we still have influence over one another? This is... Not junior high anymore, you'd think we'd be past that, right? And yet, the truth is, is that how I behave will impact and influence you. Because we're a body. We're a part of one another. And my behavior has meaning. And so we need to constantly be modeling Jesus to those around us. I uh, worked with Jason Francis for a while as a mason. I wasn't really, all I did was bring cement to the guys. That was my rule, and I didn't do that great all the time. Jason was super patient, 
And he would model exactly how to do things. This is how you break open the bag, mortar, you put it into the mixer, you add this much water. This is how you keep your hands back so you don't lose your hands. Very, really positive instructions that I took from Jason. And yet there was a guy there that he was ready to be done about 10 years prior. And he worked there and he was kind of a miserable dude. And I could not please him. And I would try to do it the right way. And yet the way he thought he was instructing me on doing the right way was just yelling. He would never demonstrate, he would never take the time to model what it looked like. Have you ever been in that kind of scenario? Someone just expects you to have all of the ability and all of the the know-how without taking the time to demonstrate in front of of you how to do it? And yet the impact in your life, think of the people that have been patient enough to stop and have concern enough for you to really understand, for you to fully grasp what your role was supposed to be inside of this job, how to do it, and the result, even explaining the result of what was going to come if you did it well. Those are the people you remember in your life, aren't they? Those are the times when you were satisfied with the work that you had to do. And Christ is calling us to that when he says, spur one another on to love and good deeds, he is calling us to be so involved in one another's lives that we can demonstrate to one another how to live. We have a mentoring program that's starting with the the young people, and I'm, I'm pumped about it. And after the meeting last Thursday, even more excited about it because I remember the influence that older believers had in my life just by living it out in front of me. But we need, if we're going to follow this command from the Lord, which we know demonstrates His character, then we need to get serious about investing in one another's lives, investing in other people's lives. It has to be more about just us. It has to be an outward response. I wanted to give you five practical ways then to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The first is not easy and yet simple in its essence. Give to others. Give to others. Figure out what you can give to someone else, whether that be your time, whether that be your money, whether that be some of your possessions, your talents, and evaluate, how can I give this? Boy, Jesus was doing nothing but giving when he was on the earth, was he? You realize that, that his ministry was always about giving, even when his, his best friend, John the Baptist, had been beheaded and he was seeking to, to fall away just for a moment's break And the crowds were pressing in on him. What does it say? He had what on the crowd? Compassion. If there's ever a time or excuse for him to say, not now, not now, it's about me, it's about my pain that I'm feeling right now. And yet that was never his attitude. And he sat there and he ministered to those people, healed the sick. He gave to others. The second is model a giving lifestyle. There's a poem I want to read, and I'm not much of a poet, and I'm not much of a poetry enthusiast, even though my grandpa Phil always had a nice little limerick ready. But I want to read this because I think it cuts right to the essence of, of, of what people really want. They want genuineness. Edgar Guest wrote this poem, and I think uh, that it fits into what we're saying here. He says this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. 
The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there is no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. I thought that was appropriate for our call to, to model in front of one another what it looks like to be like Jesus. The next is facilitate opportunities. This is number three in practical ways that we can spur one another on to love and good works. The next is facilitate opportunities. Start thinking of creative ways in which you can use your gift to benefit the rest of the body and, and other people and to serve other people, but also now how I can use my gift and also bring someone along with me to use that gift together. Maybe you're going to go visit someone in the hospital and you say, you know what, I'm going to ask this person to come with me to see what it looks like for, for someone to have compassion on someone that's in their lowest spot when, when they're sick, when they're unwell. Figure out ways that you can facilitate opportunities to spur one another on to love and good works. Affirm others. This is such a lost art. Uh, they say that it takes 10 affirmations to outdo or to overpower one negative. And our society, our culture, and even in, in the Christian culture, we have that backwards, don't we? And if you listen closely, there are 10 negatives for every one positive out there. And so it's interesting because if you start to become a positive person, if you start to affirm others, if you genuinely just see the beauty of what God has done in someone's life and you say, you know what, I'm excited about this in your life because it points back to, to the Creator. It points back to the glory of God. That, that is an awesome thing inside your life. Boy, if you do that in someone's life, you will lift them up. And there is enough junk and trash and heaviness in this world and discouragement on a regular basis that we all, regardless of age, regardless of where you are in life, we all need to be affirmed. Not in false flattery, that's not what we're looking for, but we're looking for someone to genuinely care enough about who we are and our character to say, you know what, God has great things for you and you're already demonstrating some of that in your life and I, I, I like that. Keep it up. I can point to people in my life that did that, even as a high schooler, when most people thought I was a psycho and, and just a, a hothead and, and just liked to have fun all the time and wasn't serious about anything. I can point to two gentlemen that realized that, yes, I was all those things, but I also had a care and love for the Lord. And I watched them say, listen, uh, your enthusiasm, it's great, it's God-given, but it needs to be inside of God's design. And I just remembered them affirming to me and then giving me responsibility to carry out my enthusiasm in a way that would glorify the Lord. And that was huge. That was the beginning steps of me understanding what my ministry, what my calling in this life was going to be. And it was because people outside of even my dad who, who did that all the time, but there's just something about that, isn't there? 
these two guys that, that were willing to see potential in me when other people I just annoyed to death. They affirmed me. We need to teach others, and I, I talked on that as well, but we need to teach others. We need to make sure that, that what God has been faithful to teach us through His Word and through His Spirit that we convey that to others as well. Titus 2, verse 3 and 5. Turn there, please, in God's Word. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious, gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Did you hear that? Older women, and guess what? All of you are older women. There's always someone younger than you. You are instructed from the word of God in Titus 2, 3 to 5, that you should be teaching the younger women. You say, I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm sorry, but this is saying that you are to be teaching the younger women. Teaching them how to live. Teaching them what is right. And by doing so, you will affirm in them. You will spur them on to love and good deeds. Well, that is point one, and we have three more to go, so we should probably get moving. The next one is encourage one another. So go to 1 Thessalonians 4. We're close. We're in Titus, so just back a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. We'll start in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And every example that I'm going to read here under encourage uh, one another is bringing people directly back into the truth of God's word. Because that's the only place for real encouragement is is from the, the mouth of God. The truth is that, and we don't know all the details, but the truth is that someday the Lord's going to return. Jesus is coming back. And regardless of when you believe when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen, details, but the truth is that Jesus is coming back. Maybe you didn't hear. Jesus is coming back for us. You know, it's interesting. That has a way of taking all the complexity of life and make it drop away. Because if in the moment we understand that that is our hope and that is our promise, that that this world is temporary, that our lives really are lived for a time beyond now, there should be great comfort in that, shouldn't there? So let's comfort one another with these words. Find Promises, and there are so many promises from the Lord. Find promises in His Word and bring it to someone. I know I'm getting old because I am really, really starting to care about this book. And only old people care about this book, right? 
I really, really love God's word. You wouldn't know it because I find ways to make priorities in front of it, but I genuinely do love it. And those are mistakes when I, when I don't find pr- priority in it. But God's word is so encouraging and has so much promise and the thing Satan loves most is to deceive us. The thing he loves most is to make what should be clear in our mission and our future and make it hazy. To make us doubt what our purpose is. To make us doubt that Jesus is ever going to return. To make us doubt that anything is ever going to be made right. And so we need to counter the very nature of Satan and encourage one another from God's word. And if we came by and and just uh, said, they're there, it's going to be okay, without any promise of why it was going to be okay, that would be shallow and empty. And yet we can come by and we can say, they're there, it's going to be okay. You know why? Look here. Look in this book. There are so many promises from God. And guess what? God's character is true. And so when he says something, when he commits to something, guess what? He always carries out for Use God's word to bring hope and healing and power into the life of a fellow believer. Bring hope, healing, and power into someone that has never heard the story of Jesus and see what happens in their life. Amazing things. John 10, verse 10. My favorite verse in all of Scripture. Turn there. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now he's talking about Satan here. This is Jesus talking. Let's start back at verse 9 for a little more context. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? You see on the cross, when he said, it is finished. He endured hell and punishment and pain and the wrath of God on our behalf. He laid down His life for us. That gives Him some significant credibility then when He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the cool thing, is that when we speak the truth of Jesus into the lives of other people, we are speaking life. We are speaking the very essence of who God is to them. And what an amazing privilege. John 6, turn there please. John 6, verse 67. You see, his disciples, they understood. They spent some time with him and they knew that Jesus was there to give them life and life abundant and he was the only source of true life. And so in John 6, verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed 
and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? Lord, where else can we go, Peter says. It'd be crazy to go anywhere else because you have life. You have truth. You have joy. There's nowhere else we can find it, Lord. And that's 2,000 years ago. And that truth remains. That we can't go anywhere else in this life and find joy and true satisfaction except to Christ. And if we're going to love one another enough to encourage one another, we need to speak the truth into each other's life. All right? The next one is live at peace. And boy, we are really going to have to fly through this one. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13. Go back there, please. And that you esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brother, admonish the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. You see, he says, live at peace with one another, and then he gives the answer on how to do it. And the answer is found in verse 15. It says, always seek after that which is good for one another. Friends, listen. If you're going to be a good friend and you always want to keep the peace in a friendship, guess what the key to being a good friend and keeping the peace inside your friendship is? At all times, seek your friend's welfare, best, good, above your own. And you'll keep peace. Now, sometimes that's hard because while seeking their good, sometimes you have to say things that are hard to say, and that's interesting. And yet, a genuine friend will not cast that away, will they? They'll embrace that. They'll love that. But we can live at peace with one another. And we need to learn how. Blessed are the peacemakers. All right, the last one is love. And it's interesting because all of these have been coming from that uh, first statement of Christ that we love one another. So it's appropriate that we end on this. Go, if you would, uh, to 1 Thessalonians 3, just two chapters back. Verse 11 and 12. It's interesting. Um, we had, I think, I, I can't remember exactly, I have too many kids and I start forgetting their names and birth dates and details. But we had an announcement to make for Milo, our last son, and uh, we wanted to tell the family. And it was going to be a shocker because Abby wasn't supposed to get pregnant, but she did and anyway. So we said, okay, uh, Benson, you're going you're gonna to be allowed to tell everyone the good news. All right? And so we get over there and with the family and we say, all right, Benson, tell everyone the good news. And Benson gets ready to share the good news, and he says, We got a Nintendo 3DS! <laughs> no. No. No, son. <laughs> Wrong news. <laughs> and he had missed the significance of what was most important, and yet we saw what was most important to him, didn't we? He forgot to tell the real news. The most important news, that a baby was coming, that new life had happened. 
We forgive him because he's Benson. I think in life we do the same thing, don't we? We start to get distracted. We stop and we forget to look at what is most important. There was a uh, young man that came to Jesus. And I don't have time to go through all these scriptures. Let me give you these scriptures. You can write them down and look them up later. But I'll, just, I'll finish on, on this last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 12. Please read that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. 2 Thessalonians, yep, that's a real thing. 2 Thessalonians, that's a real book. Chapter 1, verse 3. And the last one is 2 John, verse 5. Turn in your Bible for our last verse of the day in Matthew 22, 34. In life, it's important to keep the main thing the main thing, as my friend Kevin Bradford keeps telling me. And this young man came to Jesus, and he was a man of great wealth and of great significance in society and in, in human terms had accomplished a lot. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that's the utmost importance. That is the most important thing that I can tell you. And inside the complexities of this word and and the beautiful theology that that helps to to give us pictures and glimpses of the nature of God and the character of God and, and all of those wonderful things, and yet Jesus breaks it down and says, here's what's most important. Don't be distracted by all that. It's wonderful, wonderful things. And yet here is what most important you need and that is that you love God with everything that you are that your life revolves around finding ways to love him more and the second is like it because out of that will come this naturally that you love your neighbor as yourself that you love one another You see, there is joy and refreshment and life waiting to be given when we love one another. And God is anxious for those that he created to glorify him, to please him, 
by doing these two things. Loving him like crazy and loving one another with an unselfish, pure love. Can we do that? Not in our own strength, and yet the Spirit of God that dwells in each one of us that has accepted that free gift of salvation is there waiting to be yielded to, waiting to carry this out. It's for our good. It's for our best. And God longs to see us love one another. Let's pray. Father, we can't do this by ourselves. There's no way. Uh, There is nothing inside of me that is good enough to uh, consistently uh, love others. And so it has to come from you because you are love. It's, it's your character, it's your nature, it's who you are. God, I pray that you would instill in me through your Spirit's power, that you would instill in me a passion, a deep passion for you, God, and that foremost, above all things, that I will want to love and honor you with everything that I have. God, that's contrary to my flesh, that's contrary to the world, that's contrary to what Satan wants for me. And yet what you want, what you say is best is that I love you passionately and truthfully and I, I love you with my, with my knowledge and my mind and I love you with my, my, my emotions and I love you with my heart and my, my very spirit and God, you, you want all of me. But that means surrender. That means getting rid of the things that, that point to me instead of you. Please help me. Please help me to do that. And then, Father, I pray that uh, if we can be obedient to your Spirit's leading in that, I pray that you would just make us uh, explode with love for one another. That the outpouring, the very natural outpouring of our love for you will be to to love one another in the way that, that you love. And God, we know, because you said it, that when we do that, they'll know that we're yours. We, they will know that we belong to you. God, I pray that our significance would be tied to who you are because that's the only real significance in life. I pray that your character and your nature would just be, bring so much joy to us and so much peace and comfort and that we'd be willing to share that with others. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.